Network Radio. This week's show is a journey into consciousness, working through the wonderful trance mediumship of Mick and Sylvie Avery, with wisdom brought through by spirit guide Gregory Hay. To find out more about their work, you can visit www.spirit-teaching.com. Very warm welcome to another edition of Journeys into Consciousness, Gregory. It's great to have you back. Thank you very much for inviting us, my dear friend, Ian. Thank you so. Yeah, you're more than welcome. It's been a little while since we spoke. We've had a little bit of a break on the show, on the website, for the last few weeks. Just the way the, the cookies crumbled, really. Um, it's been a, a nice break, I guess. I think every, we need one every now and again. Um, yes. But it's good to have you back and uh, got a few questions for you this yes. evening. So... Um, just to start off, if you've got any more information on the Gulf oil spill, um, there just seems to be a lot of talk um, that the, the relief wells are being drilled and it could be plugged in August. Um, just wondered, I mean, do you see any evidence of this from your point of view? Have you been looking at it? Uh, well, yes, my dear friend, I do see that there is progress being made. However, I do feel that uh, much of the situation that's really troubling us about all of that matter is actually to do with the dispersants that are being used, which are the, which is then uh, uh, sending the oil to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, it's simply then forming into large globules and then eventually will roll back onto the beaches in probably about four to six months' time. Yeah, because I think what, one of the concerns I've heard actually heard time and time again on various talk show radios on the internet is that people are really worried now about the the contamination and the the gases and the chemicals um, affecting people on the Gulf Coast really and they're just worried I guess that you know there's a big environmental disaster looming um, for their health really. Yes and and I do understand that and I concur my dear friend it is a concern absolutely uh, particularly with the various chemical derivatives that come from the actual basic oil itself, but also from uh, the way in which that is then having an impact upon the environment. For example, if you have a, a being which is, or a, a plant or whatever, coated in oil, it becomes rotting and then that releases a great deal of uh, potentially harmful bacteria as well as uh, gases as well. And, uh, but I, I understand about all of the uh, possibilities of different uh, situations, chemical situations rising from this. And I do, do feel in actual fact that much of this will be suppressed even if it becomes obvious that people on your side of life are actually suffering uh, as a result. Well, one of the things at the moment is there is a massive uh, media blackout at the moment, and that's what's leading yeah. a lot of people on the internet to really just, um, I guess, really, what's going on. And one of the two things that have come out is that some people are saying that they believe now that it isn't just one leak. There's that they, they feel there's another big leak that's being covered up, either away from the original leak um, coming up from the seafloor or another uh, hole further down in the well causing a leak. Yes, yes. Um, you, what you have to understand, Finn, is that the pipe itself between the rig that was floating on the surface and the well at the bottom of the ocean, uh, that when the, the uh, platform itself sank, it drifted 
uh, a good distance away from the wellhead uh, and its original site, which means to say that the entire pipe was dragged with it. And what in fact has happened is that that pipe has fractured in three different places. So that in actual fact, and what happened was that the oil company at this, that time was not aware that this had happened, that this event had happened. They, they hadn't taken it into account. So therefore, it meant that actually there was oil uh, spewing from this pipe at two other fractured points that was actually left to just flow out freely, you see? And, and that was actually what happened. The story that you're talking about is where it was, when it was first discovered, uh, there were various people who actually thought that these were fissures opening up in the ocean floor. I can say to you, my dear friend, that uh, the situation is we have not uncovered any fissures that we have seen in the ocean floor. So that means that with the the state of it at this moment in time, because you've got to understand that this particular uh, uh, aquifer of oil is in fact buried quite deeply beneath the rock itself. So it has a good deal of pressure which is upon it, both from the ocean and from the rock which is above it. So that means to say, in a sense, it's quite well contained. There are very few possibilities of fissures at, the, at that point, because in actual fact, the strata of uh, a tectonic plate movement isn't in that area. It's further south from there. So it should not be an impact upon that oil field or upon that whole situation. Okay. And what about, um, you know, large releases of methane? Because this is another doomsday scenario people in painting, and obviously I'd like to get yeah. your views on it. They reckon yeah. that so much methane could come up, it could it could change the buoyancy of water and ships in the area could all suddenly sink. Well, my dear friend, I have to say that the point of uh, this whole situation is uh, many people put a great deal about the store of methane uh, within the earth. And I feel myself that it would be far better if human beings actually learnt how to be productive with methane itself uh, after all, it is freely available inside the Earth's core, so there is no reason really why not to use it. And uh, these pockets of methane, of course, accompanying oil in this way, because it's a biomass, bio really simply means that uh, it should be some kind of quantity of material that is harnessed and used more carefully. I understand that at this present time, it is something which is being burnt off. Uh, a great deal uh, to do with the burning off of the oil that comes to the surface anyway, that's uh, in a sense entrapped, part of which is entrapped in this uh, uh, boom-like appearance. Uh, but of course, that's only just a very, very small part of it. And what tends to happen is that uh, within the amount of methane coming into the atmosphere, it actually means that there are possibilities whereby it may bring about uh, or disorientation through living organisms that fly through it or that are associated with it in the sea or some such thing. But those kinds of situations tend to be transient. They're very minute, really. Uh, methane itself, 
however, does have a different environmental impact if you're talking about how it interacts with the ozone layer because methane actually makes up a part of the ozone layer and too much methane in the ozone layer creates faults within it. So that is more of a, a pre precipitous danger for humanity in that respect. But it's to say, however, that if you get it into perspective, when you have a volcano fire off, uh, uh, on your side of life, it actually releases enormous amounts of methane and all at once into the atmosphere. So what you are actually having and uncovering at this present time, if you are looking at it rationally, is actually a, it's a significant amount, but it does not mean to say that it is going to do complete environmental damage as would perhaps a, a very large volcanic eruption. Okay. Do you feel that people on the Gulf Coast will have to move, you know, anytime soon? Or do you think that rumours of diaspora are unfounded? I feel, my dear, in actual fact, the situation for the Gulf Coast and both Louisiana, uh, uh, Texas, and other uh, states as well in that whole area are at risk anyway. And they have been for the last 30 or 40 years purely and simply because of the massive uh, 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 interruption with these petrochemical companies who have been laying waste to thousands upon thousands of acres, hectares in fact, of coastline. So the coastline was rubbished anyway, before all of this set off. And this is in a sense just allowing people to wake up to the fact that actually this coast has already been almost completely annihilated. Most of the mangrove trees that were there, which the planet had originally grown in order to protect the shoreline, are completely just twigs. There's nothing left of them. Most of the, uh, uh, the actual marshes, which are the harbors of life for little fishes and for various many uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands of different organisms which come to live and support the life of the Gulf Coast area are in fact born in these marshlands. And what has happened is that the petrochemicals, uh, chemical companies have systematically been draining them. So if you want to know what really is the cost of the gallon of petrol in your car, is actually to do with these kinds of wasteful management of the planet itself and of companies allowed to create this despoil of the environment. So those really, in a sense, are the matters that should be of greatest concern, you see? Well, well thank you for the update on that. Something I wanted to cover this week, if you're able to, was just really around the, the Ark of the Covenant. Are you aware of it? It's the large device thing that I think believe Moses had. They used it as part of the Exodus from Egypt, didn't they? And apparently, that it was, it's kind of like a big device that they used to allow the the seas to part or the, the you know the river to part. Um, <laughs> even used it on their enemies. It's kind of a very mysterious device that's now apparently in Ethiopia somewhere, being looked after by a, a priest there. I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Well, dear Finn, um, 
there are many different stories of the Bible which have been put into the context of something else. So there are situations whereby uh, the, uh, the stories of Moses and to do with the leading of the people from one part of Arabia to another, which is basically what it was, uh, as being a culmination of a device created by God, perhaps, in order to bring about saviors of these particular people. That's part of their um, understanding of being the chosen ones. There has to always be one that's chosen, I suppose. And that in this respect, I, uh, I give my leave to respect that opinion. However, uh, the situation really is that for me to comment on such a, a situation uh, would not really be polite. Did such a device exist? How long is a piece of cheese? Well, there's people that say that this thing's living in Ethiopia at the moment and it's being guarded by a priest in the church. There's even been documentaries on uh, Discovery, I think, about it as well. Um, yeah. And, um, and, and when you sort of listen to these accounts, it almost sounds like a, a modern device, almost radioactive. It could have been potentially used as a warlike type weapon rather than something that God would have made. Uh, yes, yes, quite so. Uh, it seems more like really to be something of uh, the use of sound energy, I would think, which is actually along the lines of uh, Nikolai Tesla's many developments of uh, his whole projective energy using, um, using the actual projection of radio waves. Mm. So I guess my question is, you know, like, if something existed around that time that fitted that mould, you know, what was it? You know, what it was obviously technology beyond the capabilities of the people living at that time, and it wasn't a nice thing, and it was certainly wasn't a, a godlike thing. You know, it's probably no, if you, I don't know, you have to be careful how you, you use the words here, but well, um, yes, absolutely so. That's my point, really. So, uh, uh, it is possibly an instrument which was provided by another race, if at all it exists. I have not seen it, so I cannot. Be a cat give you a categorical answer, for I cannot uh, uh, obviously work on the methods of hearsay. It just would not give it any value. For our group is all about what we actually see upon the planet. We have not been to Ethiopia to seek out this device. If you would like for me to go, then that might be a a point in terms. Um, we would have to. Look at this as an investigation. Okay, all right. Um, well, just another question, really, was um, was around the solar system, and the, the, I guess I'm just sort of going through uh, yes. things that are of a conspiracy or people um, people don't know for sure. I guess so. They, you know, it's easy to believe things if you don't have the truth, and obviously it's hard for us to gain the truth through this is a method of channeling anyway but yes, it's yes. just you know a lot of channeling can go way too far into the science fiction where everything is possible and completely crazy where almost your brains have to fall out in order to believe it and then you know but i guess the stuff that you do you're very pragmatic in a way so it's it's a, it's a completely different league to other channelings it's good to get the different views from different different channelers if you know what i mean I understand, friend, yeah. Um, so the, I guess the other thing is that a lot of people say is that 
they believe there might be other orbiting objects within the solar system you know whether that's a binary star or another planet that's a long way out on a long orbit um, and some people seem to have theories that it ties in because there's anomalies with gravity or, or something on, on planets and the unknown quantity of it could be an unknown binary star or planet way out in the solar system so I just wondered if, if that's something you've come across or whether you know the answer to that well, my dear friend, I have not seen another star in uh, hidden or otherwise to do with your present solar system. There are numerous rocks and various other bits and pieces, but certainly not another binary star. That is, uh, that would mean that you would have different light. It would mean uh, that you would have different energy, possibly that the sea would not exist in its present plane. Purely and simply because of different poles and attraction. Don't forget, friend, that at this present time, the, the presence of Sol, the sun, is, the, is one of the things that's actually keeping the Earth on course and, of course, all of the other planets and the whole system of its makeup. It's not to say that there is another star which is then uh, categorized as a sort of a, a, a situation of binary system with your own star. So uh, otherwise you would have a completely different uh, set of orbiting situations. You would, for example, have uh, that, that as usually happens in that kind of situation where you might have actually orbiting planets which have a figure of eight, which move around both star formation, you see? And so I can uh, categorically say there is not another star within your solar system. The upsets and the situations that are developing because of not another presence of another star, but simply because of the uh, upheaval of the Earth, which is natural progression for the planet itself, is not due to some other cloaking device or some other device brought about from some other race from a far-off planet, or any other reason for it happening other than the fact that it happens anyway. And if you study uh, the many thousands, hundreds of thousands of millions of planets that exist throughout the universe from many different star formations, many different, within many different kinds of galaxies, you will see, in fact, that there are many planets which exhibit very similar traits. That is, that their internal organ, which would happen to be the molten center or core of that planet, tends to exude different wave patterns of uh, electromagnetic and static pulse, of different kinds of, of situations where the gravity yield is different at one point than another. The shear force is exerted by the uh, by the central star of that planet's whole system will generally tend to play different uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses upon the planets which then orbit it. These are natural occurrences. It tends to be that human beings, through their uh, uh, understanding and raised awareness, then tend to think that the various different planets augment their 
uh, internal combustion facility, their whole uh, experience, if you like, of whether they're releasing energy, uh, drawing it to them, creating different forces of energy and different kinds of electromagnetic or, or uh, 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 static uh, energy which is drawn to them or pushed away from these different effects of the sun are simply, uh, in a sense, parts of the organism that allows it to be. So when, so when we have situations whereby the planet is thought to be having polar shifts from one point to another, or that it suddenly is supposed to change its polarity, that is ridiculous. Yeah, cause I was watching something the other day where they said that there was, the scientists said there is evidence of a magnetic pole shift around 700,000 years ago. And they can find that out by looking at the, the way that things are pointing within the rock. Like the yes, of yeah. yes, of course. But what I'm saying is that there are wobbles all the time. There are wobbles every day. And so every day the polarity moves from, uh, from about one or two degrees. Sometimes it's even smaller than that. Sometimes it's just a minute fraction. And other times it might be quite a lot. It depends entirely upon what happens to the sun itself the solar flare activity, the various other different kinds of solar activity uh, being created by the dynamism of the sun itself. Okay, so there isn't really any sort of Planet X or Nibiru coming in anytime soon then? Well, my dear friend, I, I know that there's a great deal talked about this and I dare say it uh, 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 creates a great deal of cultural mystery um, and I accept that, but it it for what it is that is uh, in in terms of human beings must always try to look outside the box to try to develop new theories and understanding of possibilities because how else are they going to grow so i don't rubbish anything i'm saying that very well but you have to continue this in terms of extrapolation so that you can understand exactly what is truth and what is mysticism. And so, therefore, I take nothing away, and I, I'm, I'm not hostile to all of this at all. I'm just simply saying that when you think it's true, there will be evidence which points to the fact that many of these consequences of action are actually already configured within the planet's survival, within its relationship with the sun, within the relationship of Mars, which obviously was once covered with water, with many of the other planets of the solar system, which were also covered with water. Many planets are covered with water. Yeah. It's part of their endemic state. And times, it will become that water will either evaporate into back into the interstellar space, which will then gradually form once again as vast oceans and clouds of water frozen at poss possibly uh, around 436 degrees mm. which of course or, or 238 degrees i believe which is absolute zero right i mean just talk about mars it's my understanding that mars was formed around about four and a half billion years ago around the time of the solar system being formed right yes roughly yes. right and yes. um and but it lost its magnetosphere, 
about four billion years ago. So really, just over half a billion years, it had, and it really had a core on you know working a dynamo on the planet working with magnetic sphere for about half a yeah. billion years. Yeah. So that's a very small window for that planet to sustain life, isn't it? Oh yes, very very small, friend. Uh, but that is though you've got to understand, though, friend Ian, that this is life as you know it, not necessarily all forms of life. You see. No. I was just wondering so, when, when you know, when in that window when Mars was a vibrant planet and had oceans, had a magnetosphere and atmosphere. Yes. You know, was there intelligent, complex life on that planet? Well, um, what I'm here to say is that complex and de- intelligent life depends on what your form of intelligence is, doesn't it? Really? It's relative, but, isn't it? Yes, yes, quite so. So, uh, but that exists everywhere, you see. So, I'm I'm not talking about beings without physical body like myself. I'm talking about uh, beings of physical body, which actually exists in all of the water vapor that ever was and ever is throughout the whole uh, universe. So, it means to say that in just exactly the same way as if you took a core of ice from the North or South Pole and you... uh, you actually analyzed it, you would find creatures in, embedded within it that were thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years in ancient state. And if you thought it out very, very carefully, they would all come alive. So that means to say that this is exactly the same as the ice crystals and uh, all the, of the rest of, of that uh, form of, of uh, chemical that exists in the whole of the universe, that all of that, some of it, has life within it, that moves around the universe at will, in a sense, wherever it is attracted to by the magnetic pull of one planet or another. And then it will either land upon the planet and stay in its frozen state because the planet isn't warm enough, for that life form to become in existence or it will be and then it will wait until that whole system is shattered once again and that it's blasted back out into space you see yeah or it will be a situation whereby the planet itself uh, uh, is created and becomes warm enough to sustain life and sometimes these creatures are not uh, uh, burnt to a crisp when a planet becomes molten because as you know that there are organisms many many organisms that actually live in molten lava and it is not a a situation whereby the temperature then uh, completely turns it into vapor or anything else like that so there are many different organisms of your side of life that actually live in that environment that live in the earth's core for example yeah they're just different. That's all. Fantastic. So, obviously, just exhausted the the solar system thing. I, was, I mean, really, just we're getting back down to the Earth. Really, was we just had the summer solstice? Um, yes. You know, Stonehenge. Um, and I just yes. I always wonder, you know, what was Stonehenge for? I mean, when you look at it, it seems it's obviously some kind of sundial. You know, were they using it to? keep track of the seasons for crop growing was there other more ritual reasons for it i just wonder what the different people used it for over the ages really or whether you know the answer to that yes it was originated for healing oh lovely it was originated for healing and for a place to bring 
people who had passed. Right. So that they would be given in a ritualistic way back to the universe. I mean, does that obviously um, when you believe in this stuff, you, it's, it's easy to comprehend that that does have some kind of power. It does kind of work. It does help the soul move on. I mean, is is that actually true? Does it actually help the process, or is it just something they believed in? Well, the, the point is uh, that's two questions. So yeah, the sorry. Part, so the first part is that actually uh, the henge itself is built on a uh, on a configuration of ley line activity which uh, stretches right across the area and it's a configuration which actually is quite dynamic because it's actually to do with ley lines which come from many different areas. And actually, significantly, there is one ley line that actually comes all the way across from Carmarthenshire, which is where the, the original standing stones came from. Ah, it's not Wales, is it, down that way? Yes, 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 right. that's Yes, uh, on the southern coast of Wales, yes. Right. Just, just around the corner from Swansea, understand. Yes. Yeah. How, I mean, did they move them in any particular way or did they just kind of move on large tree, you know, tree trunks or something? I don't know. How would they move those things? Yes. Well, what they did, my dear friend, was they actually made rafts. Right. Which, oh, right. I've heard this. Yeah. Yes. And they then simply floated them, uh, 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 managed to manhandle the stones somehow on to, I believe, using cantilevers that they had erected on the shore. And what they did was that they actually uh, managed to uh, do this to manipulate the cantilevers and manipulate the stones onto the rafts and then kept them in the shallow water and brought them along the coast by horse. So where did they get the information from? How did they know about this stuff? Because I mean, it all seems to tie in with the pyramids as well and you know the, the, maybe the reasons why they built the pyramids and also down in that part of the world as well in, in England you've also got Avebury Circle as well which is yes, a fairly course. big site as well and I just wondered why did they what, you know, what knowledge did they have in order to build them what was their way of life how did they live well it was all to do with uh, the Druidic cults really as the Druids had been around for uh, a great many years BC you see hmm for thousands of years. So uh, this was a culture which was uh, rich in the understanding of Earth environment and the magnetism of the Earth. And so that's really what they understood and divulged their whole meaning and purpose of life. So it was, in a sense, they knew that certain stone and certain rock had not, in a sense, a power that they could not tap into but actually had a, an understanding because of where it came from uh, that was the point really the origin the origination of a stone and where it comes from is more important than the actual type of the stone itself yeah so it, they could use it then to heal their bodies to rejuvenate themselves you know was that the, the purpose of it yes not just the stone itself understand but but really to do with the Druidic cult, it was actually to do with uh, uh, how they then centered themselves in the act of healing. 
so oftentimes it would be that they would make turn this into uh, quite a ritualistic practice. That doesn't mean to say that the ritualism then took it away from the purpose for which it was intended, which was, of course, for healing, at least uh, if not the physical body of the person who was uh, maybe about to pass or something like that. It wasn't always that the person was going to pass. It was oftentimes uh, to do with people who had been injured in animal attacks, attacks by bears or or mountain lions or anything else, you see. Mm. Because, I mean, I understand that the stones are lined up. You know, they're aligned with the directions in the sun, aren't they? So, when the, okay. the sun, so did that play an important part in the healing process? It played an important part in the way that it actually helped people to configure themselves. It's, it's like a, a, a way of a person not just releasing their energy at the summer solstice because it was, or the winter solstice or whatever, it was actually used at many different times of the year. You see, uh, the, moon, the moon's transition, uh, it was oftentimes used then as well. Yeah. It was used a great deal, much more than uh, people on your side of life now understand that it was used for. Right. I mean, do the people that honour and use it today realise the potential? Um, on, and also, do they use it in the same way today? Does it still have those properties? I believe it, it is still uh, that some people do actually still recognise it for its fullest potential. Maybe perhaps not so much because they tend to be ridiculed somewhat by others on your side of life and therefore are uh, uh, quite find it quite difficult at times but yeah. but that uh, and is the energy the same well uh, i have to say my dear friend the problem with it is that one of the main lines uh, which came from uh, Kamarthan, as i said and originally came straight in a straight line to uh, th to and through glastonbury and then beyond uh, was at, had actually been uh, moved and manipulated because of the uh, because of the installation the uh, atomic power installation well in actual fact there are three on that coast I understand and they've had a great deal of influence on the properties of that of that whole area you see okay so when you say influence on the properties well, in, a, in, a, in what way well in a, in a sense that you see, when you actually have an instrumentation such as a nuclear power station, which is uh, not necessarily as safe as people make out, mm. then it, it actually means that there are a great many uh, other properties that you have to take into consideration. Um, not forgetting, of course, that uh, we're not just talking about here about matters of druidism we're also talking about the fact that most churches are actually sited on uh, ancient ley line uh, uh, tramways or or uh, uh, ways of of moving energy across the earth yeah and what tends to happen then when you have installations of that kind of property it can upset uh, the whole triangulation of these energy lines across the earth. So in a, in a sense then, um, this is, I hope this is not a sweeping statement, but are these buildings placed onto the ley lines purposely to disrupt them? 
or were they put there naively because they thought they might be able to tap into the energy? No, I, I feel, my dear friend, you are talking about the actual uh, uh, atomic reactors and all of that were just simply, they didn't have a clue, really. Yeah, what about, I mean, what I'm saying, also churches and castles and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yes, place, oh, place, yes, absolutely. Because they're, they're placed on the, on the ley lines, but are they, oh, are they yes. affecting the energy by being on those ley lines? Yes, they were put there on purpose, that's my point. So they're kind of disrupting the energy, aren't they? No, they're not disrupting it. Oh, right, they're not disrupting the energy. No, no, no. no. Sorry. Because, because in actual fact, don't forget, Finn, that uh, all churches are really, if you strip away the religious factor of it, they are actually centres for people to come together to bring uh, very powerful messages of love and forgiveness, hopefully, mm. in it. I know that that's not the story within uh, the many of the of the mouths of many pulpits, but uh, but I'm saying that in actual fact that is the given blessing of it. Right. Okay. So that's, that's wonderful. So people who visit these buildings on on the ley lines, you know, they can do that. In, you know, in the knowledge that they're actually oh. sitting in a very powerful energy zone, aren't they? Oh, Where they yes. Can, Absolutely. Yeah. So yes. Absolutely. So quite correct. Fantastic. I mean, what do you know anything about? Um, is it Silbury Hill? I think that's down in the same region as well, which is kind of like a big sort of pyramid grass mound um, down near Avebury. Yes, is it Silbury? I understand that. Yeah. Uh, yes, and uh, that's a very uh, beautiful place as well. And I understand that the energy of that is also attached to uh, the the situation, the configuration of Avebury, as well as other ancient uh, states of that area. Yeah. As also, I understand, there are other standing stone uh, areas as well uh, throughout the kingdom, uh, because in actual fact, the Druids were very prolific. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a shame, really, that you know we've gone so far the other way, and we've kind of left all that behind although you know there's a there is a, a handful of people still you know the minority of people that still believe in it and go and visit them and honor yes, what they yeah. are but people who really don't know what they've got on their doorstep do they yes well quite um, the, the point is friend that it's not something that you can forget because you feel the energy when you visit it when you when you it, it's exactly the same my dear friend as if you were Perhaps, let's say, that you were going to some other ancient place, like maybe an, a, a Roman iron ore working or something like that. You'll actually feel uh, a very great energy there too. Uh, and that is actually because of the creation of energy around it from all of the people who have looked at it and, and, and actually drunk in the atmosphere and the energy of the place. That doesn't mean to say that the place was uh, some beautiful uh, place where where men w worked with smiley grins on their faces. It's actually uh, a place of great torment for uh, the the people who worked there under the Roman rule. But uh, it's really to say, however, that such places, just like as if you had walked into a forest, are places of great empowerment. Uh, yeah. The same as if you had bathed yourself in a river. So is it, a, is it a similar thing with the pyramids as well? Because they are in Egypt, South America, um, 
there even seems to be evidence of pyramids in China as well, um, yes. and perhaps oh. even Tibet. There seems to be some under the, under the oceans, under the sea that people oh, have seen. Right. And yes. anything, what you know, they're all there. I mean. You know, we kind we kind of know what they're for. You know, they seem to be sort of for initiation for healing. Yes, uh, yes. And perhaps they got a bit perverted over time and they changed their original intent. I mean, is, is that what they were solely used for? Do you think initiation well, and healing? Well, my dear friend, it wasn't all nice, my dear. And I have to say, some of it was actually uh, like, uh, for example, uh, the Mayans and others used to sacrifice their children. Yes, that was in the end of their civilization, yes, wasn't it? there have been other civilizations who have done similar things yeah. as well. This is part of the rites of passage, in a sense, in exactly the same way that many tribes have adopted similar principles. That's not to say that it then means to say that all of those people were that way inclined. It means to say that at times of their religious understanding or their undertaking, that they came to view that maybe out of desperation, maybe because their crops consistently failed, and then they found that after having sacrificed so many children uh, over a number of years that they began to right themselves again, and so they built that in as a religious ritualistic practice. Mm. And that has been the case for many different cultures. So I'm not singling one out and saying one's bad and all the rest are, are saints, not at all. Yeah. I'm saying that this is a part of the progress of humanity. So wasn't, was there like a golden age though, when these things were built with pure intent initially, and then obviously humanity went through kind of a fall? I would have to say, friend, that it depends on where you're talking about. Mm. That but, these weren't actually all done at exactly the same time. So it depends upon each individual culture. I know some are typically uh, really placed between around 4,000 years BC to around uh, perhaps uh, maybe 11 or 1200 AD. Yeah. So what, I mean, what, were they, what was the pure intent? What was the real reason? I know things may have gone wrong you know, with the Mayans in the end of the sacrifice, but what is the power behind the pyramids? What is the real intention for building them because I know the ones in Egypt allegedly line up with Orion as well it seems to be mirroring the heavens yes I understand that but that's also because their gods and archetypes of which they felt they were a part of that an, an earth physical embodiment and don't forget that all of the pharaohs were supposed to be the embodiment of God at that time and so that was why they were created in such languishment and why, in fact, the pyramids themselves were built was purely and simply to keep themselves safe for their journey uh, into the next world. And, and, of course, so that they would then be able to make their journey in their beautiful boat with all of their servants and, and maidens and animals and all of their armor and all of their goods to follow with them. And so that was the point of that culture. If you were looking at other cultures, um, uh, they had different reasons for why they built theirs. Uh, they, they were not necessarily dissimilar, however, to do with the star orientation because they, uh, there were many, many different cultures of the physical side of life, uh, particularly around uh, uh, between 15,000 and 5,000 
uh, years BC that we can see that many cultures actually looked to the stars and all of that to see uh, to try to determine themselves and what their relationship was with the universe in which they found themselves. And I I feel that these were very important times, in fact, and the, you are simply seeing the relics of those times. Sadly, however, the ages which were before that time period of the first and second uh, 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 times when there were human beings uh, are really much discarded in, a, in that respect. And there are very few evidences left of those peoples. I, I believe that perhaps the fewest of those uh, relics really uh, exist around the western tip of the Indian subcontinent. Okay, because one of the in interesting things that some Russian scientists are doing with pyramids and stuff, and they've built some, they've built some pyramids in Russia, um, not yeah. big stone pyramids, but they kind of replicated pyramids, and they found that when they put things in them, things grow really well. Um, it's yes. a helium probably. It's almost like there's some kind of vortex of energy. It seems to channel some kind of energy down into a vortex that seems to help things grow, whether it's torsion energy or I don't know. Um, yes, I believe it is something of that nature, a, a kind of a torsion energy because of if you have a perfect pyramidal uh, shape that it seems to derive that kind of energy. Mm. I understand that uh, Mr. Tesla will know more about this than I. Okay, um, just moving on to some other questions really now. Um, just wanted to get some questions in about the spirit world really because I know that people are interested in that subject. We, I don't cover a lot of those questions so I, f I just want to fire some at you and if you could just sort of answer them quickly because I know we've only got about 10 minutes left. We'll <laughs> so try. Let's yeah. put you on the spot. <laughs> anyway, um, I mean, you know, music, we, you know, people love music on the earth plane. It's one of them things, it doesn't matter what you listen to, it always brings back memories and stuff like that. And it's just a beautiful sense yes. that we have. And, you know, do we have music in the spirit world that kind of yes. resembles what we have on, on the earth? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And one of the situations that is actually uh, uh, very much a part of the uh, the spirit world at this present time is in the making of instruments. How would you do that? Mm. Holographic. It's, well, no, it's actually quite a quite a a a way of bringing together live organisms. Right. Because what you have, in fact, are. Uh, now, just like uh, within memory, you understand memory is thought which is a living thing. So that means to say that trees have memory. They have memory of their form, of their collection of cells. So that means to say that in the spirit world, we can actually create, ask the cells of what was wood to recreate itself so that structures can be created. Fantastic. So that is exactly the same as stone or the effect of stone. The appearance of stone can be manifested through the thought forms of what stone was before it became it. Yeah. Wow. So how is that shaped? Is that shaped by the intention of the observer? Yes. So, so then if you have a person, human being or some other alien being, who actually had great dexterous properties in being able to manipulate stone or wood or carve some other kind of preserved physical mass 
that it existed within its physical life, it would, in fact, be able to be reconstructed and reconfigured in the spirit world, which what that means is that there are beings in the spirit world who actually take great delight in creating instruments so that beings who are non-physical can learn to play them. Yeah. Which, of course, means that you're playing an instrument that's perhaps a wind instrument without lungs, because you don't have any. Hmm. So if you were playing a guitar, would you use your fingers in the spirit world? Well, that's part of the point, you see, that what actually happens and why it is that the fundamental basis of the workings, the mechanics of the spirit world, is that because thoughts are living things, it means that when you remember the structure of your physical body, even if you'd been blown to smithereens by a bomb, you would still have memory of your physical state. And that cell memory is what is transferred into the spirit world, so that when you want to have fingers, you can. Okay. When you want to have a head that fits on your shoulders, you can, just like me. Wow. And can you also, can you also emulate the sense of smell, touch, taste? And so if you wanted to remember eating an apple or certain fruits, you could also experience that as well? Yes, that is quite true. I, there is a line drawn, however, between doing that and eating something that was once alive. Yeah, yeah, I thought that. So you cannot eat meat mm. in, in the spirit world. Uh, that means to say, ultimately, that animal which used to take its whole physical life cycle as being around another animal that it had to kill in order to survive, wouldn't be doing that anymore in the spirit world. Because it wouldn't have to, would it? No, no. Because the only reason why beings when within human state, when they come to our side of life, they can still continue to eat food. They can't eat meat, though. But they can eat food. And sometimes it will be that that's what they want to do because it's their memory. It's part of what helps them feel happy and safe, you see? Hmm. And do these spirits also... Um, hang around in family groups, whether that be in a family in, in the earthly sense or with a group of beings that they're always familiar with? Well, my dear friend, it may well be, as you say, ancestrally, particularly if that being was from an ancestral tribe which was very, very close, then it will oftentimes be that is a very great drawing attraction because of the love vibration between them. So that means to say that if you come from a very loving family and that that is what you are drawn to, then that's what you'll go to. It won't necessarily be that is where you will stay purely and simply because your energy is actually more twinned with the, your soul group energy, which is something that is outside of your family orientation. Hmm. So, so that means to say then in that respect that if you have a situation where your orientation is that you didn't like your family or that you were abused by people in your family, then it's your choice not to meet with them. And so if they wanted to meet you, do you have the, the power, if you like, to block them coming to you? Absolutely, yes. Yes, of course. Otherwise, it would be that you, once again, would not have free will. Free will tends to be dominated in the physical side of life by other people because other people put their energy, take your energy away, put power over you, 
order order you about, order you to do sing something that you don't want to do. Mm. Yes, that doesn't happen in the spirit world. You see. So I mean, do spirits ever sleep or rest do they have a house that they would go to or is it just i mean this is stuff i can't even comprehend and i know a lot of people can't it's have, yes, yeah yes well well uh, the point is my dear friend you will often hear of when mediums say oh uh that you, your auntie that she has a house just like she always wanted to have but that's because it's within her memory and that was the situation perhaps when in physical life that was something that she always dreamed of having and uh, what actually happens in the spirit world is that dreams are fulfilled. Hmm. It depends of course on whether there is stuff, whether there are issues in the way of that fulfillment. So that's part of the reason how it comes that and why I was trying to describe to you part of the mechanic of stone and, and brick and uh, the whole passage of wood and memory to do with that is part of the reason how it is that sometimes it can be that a being when they pass to our side of life they can create the place that they have always desired. Right and then just for example say that person uh, is living in that place they desired it's part of their thought form their dream if you like but then they've left a loved one behind on the earth plane and then that loved one suddenly walks into a spiritualist church and then a medium comes to that person does some sort of like light bulb go on in that being's head oh my god I've got an opportunity here to talk to so and so how does that whole process work do they, do they just get drawn somewhere because there's an opportunity opened up for communication with the earth plane well, don't forget, my dear friend, that if the loved one still on the earth plane uh, sends out the thought to the ether world, oh, I'm going to go to this spiritualist church, then the situation will already be cast. Yes, then no yes. other thought has to be created because it's already been cast. Oftentimes, it will be then that people who go to these meetings and then become very disappointed because they didn't get a message from a loved one might be to do with the ineptness of the medium or it might be just because there were so many people there and that there just wasn't time. So the point for this is that means to say that you should never ever give up, that what you do is, well, they'll come next time. Or rather so, it would be that that person should begin communicating with that loved one now. There is no reason why not. You don't have to need a medium in order to do that. You are all capable in some way or another of communicating with your loved ones. So what would they see? Would that spirit um, still be in their dreamlike environment? Or would they be kind of transported looking at the physical scene of that person with the medium? Absolutely, yes. The last part of it, yes. Right, okay. That's exactly what they would be doing. Yeah so interesting and and also if people say for instance someone's gone into the spirit world and um, they've been there for a number of years um, and obviously uh, all spirits have got progression as well they want to move on with their journey and stuff like that. Oh. if someone's constantly thinking about them on the earth plane or still mourning many years later does it hold that spirit back yes it can do absolutely so yes yes it can do it's one thing to uh, regard their anniversary of their passing or their birth or some such thing as that. But if you are in mourning still, and I know, my dear friend, there are people who actually can't move away from that. 
and I do respect them. I really do. I, I'm not here to admonish them or something like that. Um, they have great crosses to bear. But however, the point is that they have to come to understand that if they are sending out negative energy about themselves and their loss of their loved one, uh, no matter, does not mean to say that if you let go that you love them less. It means that you love them more because you're willing to let them go. And that is then something whereby you can have and create a different relationship with them. And it's not to say, my dear friend, that if you had someone who was very loving who passed and then they never returned, they never came back, never said hello or anything. That might simply be because they have other things that they have to do within their life. Okay. I and mean, what about children as well? Um, when they go um, over early, um, some people say they sort of they grow up in spirit, or they can. Or some people say they would just grow back to whatever age they were before they came here. Yes. Well, uh, let's uh, make this quite clear that thoughts are living things, and that when you as a being return to the spirit world, regardless of your age, you have cell memory. And that's what, in a sense, coats your spirit. Don't forget that your spirit never ever comes to the physical side of life. Your spirit remains in the spirit world at all times. It never goes anywhere. All that happens is that when physical life is created, that spirit is linked tentatively, tentatively by the etheric bead. And that is simply what happens. So that when you have a child, perhaps a child that passes of meningitis or some such thing as that, age six, then what you'll find is that the child returns to the spirit world, age six, but actually can grow just the same as I can become a person of 87 if I wished. I don't actually want to. The mean age of the spirit world tends to be around 35. And that's really simply because it's, uh, I suppose, the epitome of age of how you feel the best that you were ever going to feel. And so what tends to happen is that if a person, a child like that, has perhaps been in the spirit world, let's say, 20 years, they're not going to, uh, when their mother finally passes to our side of life, they're not going to appear, appear at them as a person of 26 years. They're going to, first of all, appear at them as the person that they were when they passed for recognition purposes. And then very gradually, they will show them how they have grown, you see? Because cells are living things, because thought is a living thing and what you take with you when you pass is the whole contents of your memory of your conscious state and that includes your cell memory so that that is the thing that covers and that your spirit wears as a sort of coat I suppose a coat of memory and that means then that when you return eventually perhaps to meet with your children that you haven't seen in 20 years or 30 years then what will happen is you will see them first of all as they were when they you last saw them in physical life and then they will show you their other adoptions their other parts of themselves that's that's fantastic and also just one last question before we we round it up are there more colors is the are colors more vivid in the spirit world 
there are more colors in the spirit world. The, the point is that what you see in the physical dimension at this present time on your side of life on earth is restricted by the refraction of light and the different uh, wavelengths that exist in physical time and space. What happens in the ether world are there that there are a myriad of other wavelengths that exist that are part of the multidimensional activity that allows you to see multidimensional activity in a way that you don't see in the physical side of life. So, for example, friend, if you were actually uh, witnessing multidimensional states, this is what happens sometimes to some people on your side of life, is that they have illuminate journeys, or even when they're, when they're conscious and awake. They have illuminate journeys of different situations, maybe even different beings that they see with that seem to have different colors as a part of their makeup. And that's part of the reason why that happens. So when you see your pet animal, perhaps from the spirit world or some such thing as that, you will see that the loving light energy from emanating from that being will actually be a completely different color to anything you've ever witnessed in physical life. Wow. Okay. All right. I, mean, I definitely want to ask you a lot more questions on these when we do another show. Oh, of um, course. Yes. So um, well, thank you for answering those. And it's been quite a diverse show this evening. And, um, yeah, just again, thank you for coming on. And I, I hope people have enjoyed it. And, again, if anybody's got any questions, please feel free to send questions in. Um, you can post questions on the Facebook page that we've got. Um, we've got over 10,000 people on there who, who tune in all the time and follow what's going on. So, you know, make sure you're on there. You know, we've also got the social network. You can also contact us using the contact us at the bottom of the website. So please do get in contact if you've got any questions. And again, thank you very much, Gregory, for um, coming on. With love and light, things, everyone. God bless upon your journeys. Be safe. Thank you so. God bless. Goodbye. If you would like to book your own personal reading with Gregory to find out about your own soul journey, then please visit the graphic banner underneath the show or visit www.spirit-teaching.com.